0: Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter to you. My name is Jeff Kerr. My wife, Christine, and I pastor the church here if you are visiting. And I just want everyone to know this before we get started with our message today. When we were talking about an Easter egg hunt for the kids and how we would do that, I had the idea to hide the Easter eggs in this room and then tell the kids in about 10 minutes, halfway through my sermon, to just, hey, there's Easter eggs underneath all the grown ups. So go in there and just set them loose in here and see what would happen. And uh, I think I was the only one who thought that was a good idea in that meeting. So clearly, I need new voices in our staff meeting or something like that. Um, that would have been fun. We, in case you're one, if you don't uh, remember that we'll have a, an Easter egg hunt after the service. Um, the kids are going to remember. So you'll see kids frantically running around, and then you'll remember. Oh right, Easter egg hunt. Um, we're glad you're with us today on this Easter Sunday. Um, we are going to uh, just have a wonderful morning. We're glad. We're glad that. We have extra fun things like Easter eggs and bunnies and animals and everyone dressed up. It's nice to come and celebrate Easter. I wanted to start out the sermon this morning by just reading the verses in the Gospel of Luke, the resurrection account. If you have a Bible, there should be some black hardcover Bibles in the pew there. The words will also be up on the screen, but I wanted to start, this is why we are here today, celebrating our risen Lord. Can someone say amen? I know we're Minnesotan. We are here because he is risen, Um, and maybe an amen isn't as fit into your Minnesota church culture, but I think we can, we can branch out on Easter Sunday. But I wanted to read these verses from Luke chapter 24. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. It says this, and this is why we celebrate today. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they had entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, and I love these words, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. He said this, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. I love that account of what happened on that Easter morning so many years ago. It's why we are celebrating today. I love the account. Those angels sitting there saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I love that. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then they couldn't remember. All those times, you know, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus said a number of times, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be handed over to to the rulers and the Pharisees, and they're going to crucify me. And then I'm going to rise again. And he said this over and over And then on that morning, it seems like they would have forgotten or they just didn't really realize what that meant. But on that morning, then all of a sudden they remembered all the things that Jesus had taught them. Oh, that's right. He said this. Oh, that's right. He promised this. Oh, that's right. He said he was going to do this. And so in that moment, instantly it adds a whole bunch of credibility to everything Jesus said, everything he promised. He can be trusted because of the resurrection. We know that he keeps his promises because of the resurrection on that Easter morning. We know that he is indeed the Messiah because of that resurrection on Easter Sunday, right? We know that this really launched the Christian movement. The day before that Easter Sunday morning, there were no followers. The disciples had all scattered. When they saw Jesus die on Good Friday... That was it. They thought it was over. But because of the resurrection, this whole movement of following Jesus began, and it began to spread, and it began to spread all over the world, not just because of things that Jesus said, not just because of any sort of Old Testament rituals, but because of Jesus Christ resurrected and alive and well. So if you're here today and church is just something you do. It's kind of a ritual thing. You got invited over to your in-laws for Easter lunch today, and the only way you were going to get any cheesy potatoes is if you came to church with your in-laws today, and you're just kind of running out the clock, and maybe you'll get a picture with a bunny or a duck or something out there. I'm just here to tell you this is not something we do out of ritual or routine. We serve a God who is alive. Amen? Amen. We serve a God who is alive. Because of the resurrection, everything changed. He is our risen Savior and King. If you've been a part of Homestead for a while, um, you know that every once in a while we do a scripture memorization challenge. And some of you know, some of you are excited to hear that because there's a few of you, maybe very few of you, that actually memorized these words. We memorized Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 over the last few months. And we tried to make it a little competition between the kids and the students and then all the grown-ups, the men and the women. We probably should combine the grown-up division because I still don't think we would defeat the children or the teenagers. I think the kids are going to get it this year as far as the prize. We even bought a trophy, which we will present to them because I think we had more kids than anyone else. Maybe teenagers, I don't know. Did you kind of give up after a while, teenagers? I think a few of you had it. Um, so this is Ephesians 1:15 through 23, and I've loved studying these words. Um, I do have it memorized, but I thought maybe I should recite it this morning. But then it was going to be one of those things I might need a reminder and then I'd freeze up and it would just be awkward. So I'll I'll prove it. I'll post it on social media. But I want to read these words together. Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 23. Um, and if you want to follow along in your Bible, it's actually going to be in a different translation than the, than the Pew Bibles, the black hardcover Bibles that we have there. But we're going to read it. The words will be up on the screen in just a minute. But I love these words, especially leading up to Easter. And if you studied these and memorized these, you know it's just so meaningful leading up to Easter. This passage gives us a greater glimpse of what took place when Christ rose from the dead. Now, the book of Ephesians, just a tiny little bit of background, this was written by the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul wrote a number of the books of the New Testament, and they are letters. They're letters written to different groups of new believers. And so this book of Ephesians is a letter that was written to believers in Ephesus, these people that weren't there on the day when Jesus died and rose. But since then, Paul and other followers have gone around to different parts of the world, And explaining to them the gospel, giving them the good news of a resurrected Jesus Christ. And so, a while later, after this group of believers in Ephesians, in Ephesus, is there, Paul writes them a letter. Now, in a lot of other letters that Paul wrote, In the New Testament, he's writing to correct something or to challenge on a specific thing. If you'll read these in some of the other letters that he wrote, some of the other books in the New Testament, Paul will say, hey, watch out for this. Watch out for this false belief. Watch out for this way of idolatry. This is creeping into the church, and I can see it, and I want to correct you on that. Sometimes he gets really specific. If you read these, it's kind of interesting to read. And these people, you know, Paul would say, hey, watch out for this guy here. Because this guy caused me a great deal of harm. And he names him by name. How would you like to be that guy, right? You, you crossed Paul one day. Maybe you were just having a bad day. And all of a sudden, you're listed in the New Testament, right? Of this guy did me a great deal of harm. Watch out for him. There's times where even Paul says, this guy is in your church and you need to kick him out because he has just gone way around the bend. He's gloating and boastful in his sin, and he needs to be corrected. All these specific things that Paul writes about. But in Ephesians, Paul's not writing to a specific thing. What Paul does in the book of Ephesians, these words that we're about to read, is he encourages these young believers that they might understand more the dimensions of God's grace and love. Because of the resurrection, that they would kind of have their their uh, horizons expanded, their minds expanded of what this truly means, life with a resurrected Jesus. So I want to read these words, and here's what I want us to do. I think we should all stand, and we're going to read these, and some of you will do it, maybe very few of you. Let's stand together. We're going to read these words, and if you want to do it from memory, you can close your eyes, but I think most of us are going to probably want the screen. Okay, so here, can we put that first slide up there, Charlie? Charlie? Ever since, all right, here we go. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. One more slide. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body, it is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Let me pray real quick before we go any further. Lord, we thank you for the promises of this word. We thank you that that power that raised Christ from the dead is still available in us. We thank you that there is hope and life and forgiveness and mercy because of your death and your resurrection. So help us understand this more today, what it means to follow a resurrected, alive, victorious God and King. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I love those words because you sense Paul's heart for his people. He wants this to be more than just routine and ritual. He wants them to go past what they have been taught maybe in the past to fully understand what it means to have a resurrected Lord. And I share that heart I share that heart for you today. My prayer for everyone here today is that you would get a spirit of wisdom and understanding, that you would know more what it means to have the love of God and the victory of a risen Savior in you. I want this to be way more than just an Easter sermon on a Sunday morning, but that he would give us that. I love those words, that your heart would be flooded with light, that you would understand Sometimes it just takes God to touch our hearts. Maybe we've gone to church for years, but there's that day where all of a sudden it becomes brand new. It becomes this new thing, and that's God, Spirit, touching you. Well, that's what I want for today in this service. So I want us to look at a couple of these verses again that we just read. And the first one is this. And it's gonna, Charlie, you can put that one up there. Verse 18 says this. I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. We're just going to leave those words up there because we're going to talk about that for a little bit. Because I know this. When reading scripture, maybe you've already experienced this this morning in a church service or a sermon or when you're reading a passage of scripture, after a while, it can kind of, all the words can kind of blend together, and you're just reading it thinking, I don't know what any of these words mean, um, and you can kind of switch into, like, autopilot, and you miss a bunch of the words, and maybe you read that, and maybe one or two words, like hope, maybe that's the word that stands out, and that's a good word, and, but there's all sorts of other stuff in there that I want to talk about for a little bit, because I'll, I'll illustrate it this way. Sometimes, um, in our house, I'll say this, I have, I have three daughters We also have a son, but he doesn't apply in this analogy because I have three daughters and I have my wife, Christy, who is leading worship today. So between my wife and my three daughters, there's four ladies in the house, which means every day about 100,000 words are spoken, right? Right? are spoken to me, and though fathers of daughters can kind of nod your head, you take about 25,000 words a day and you multiply it by the number of ladies in your house, and that's simple math, right? It's simple math. So about 100,000 words, I would say, are spoken to me every day. Now, I do my very, very best to listen to every single word that is spoken. But after a while, and maybe, dads, you can relate, I kind of switch into like a low-power mode, like Alexa, the speaker that is just waiting for like a key word, to, to like, oh, and so maybe I'll switch into like a, a safe mode or whatever. And then I'll just listen for certain keywords that'll cause me to re-engage. Oh, yes. And sometimes those key words that I'll hear are, are you listening to me? And I'll be like, that's like the Alexa, wake up. Jeff, wake up. Yes, of course I'm listening to you. And sometimes with my daughters, there's certain key words that I'll be listening for. And cause me to kind of re-engage. Um, and some of those words would be from my daughter's, you know, boyfriend. Something like, oh, what? What did I hear about that? Or um, tattoo, something like that. Like, what? <laughs> if I hear something like party at a friend's house, I'll, that's when I'll kind of re-engage. Like, wait, what, what are we talking about? Or credit card number, stuff like this. So this verse in Ephesians, maybe that happened, and you pulled out a keyword like hope. Maybe you saw confident hope, and that's what you got out of that verse, and that's great. The word hope is great. Um, hope means that there's better days ahead. That, and we live in a world and an age where it seems like fear and despair kind of rule the day and we need a confident hope. But there's a different moment in that verse, that verse 18, that, that should cause all of us to kind of wake up and re-engage, right? Maybe you kind of checked out for the rest of that verse. But there's a ver- there's moment in that verse that should cause all of us to wake up and pay attention. Now certainly, if you were the audience in Ephesus that Paul originally wrote this, and you were listening to this, there's a moment later on in that verse that would have caused all of them kind of that record scratch moment, like, whoa, wait a minute. What did he say? And that moment is this, where Paul says, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. That might be kind of background noise for you as we read that, but to the original audience, that would have been everything. That would have been the thing that jumped out Because their culture in this day and age in Ephesus was very spiritual. There were many gods, there were idols, there was idol worship. They were a spiritual culture, but to them, the gods that they worshipped, the idols that they worshipped, were angry, disinterested gods, distant gods. They were gods that were not interested in people. But really what the mentality was for these gods was this god is angry and disinterested. But if we do enough things right, maybe, just maybe, this god will show some favor. And they had gods for when they needed it to rain on their crops so they could have a harvest. When they needed prosperity or, or um, they wanted to avoid sickness, they would have all these different gods. But the mentality was this god is far away. He is not interested in his people, and he's angry, and we must do all the right things to garner favor with this God. So all of a sudden, Paul writes this letter and says, there's confident hope. I'm praying that you would understand the confident hope he's given to those he has called. You are his holy people, his rich and glorious inheritance. And they would have thought, an inheritance, holy people, That's like an heir. That's like uh, someone who would get an inheritance, a father and a child. They're like, why is he saying that we are like an heir of God? Why is he saying that we're like children of God? This would have been revolutionary because this would have been the first time they understood a God who loves his people. A God who loves his people. Not only loves them, treats them like children. Treats them like his kids, like future heirs, part of his inheritance. Now maybe you're here today and you have viewed God in the same way that those Ephesians did thousands of years ago. Angry, disinterested, far away, and you're just trying to do anything you can to get some attention from this God. God, where are you? I must do all the right things in order for God to kind of shine down on me and maybe give me a little bit of a blessing. Well, that is not what we read about in the Scripture. What we read about is a God who is close, who loves you, who sees you as a son or a daughter, a future inheritance. You are not a subject in God's kingdom. You are not a servant to an angry, faraway God. You are valued and loved by God. So much so that he made you an heir, and because of the cross, and because of the empty grave, you and I are part of his rich and glorious inheritance. That's what those words that we've been studying mean. That's what the good news is because of that. We are children of God, part of his inheritance. So when Paul says, I want you to have a confident hope, this is not just like a passive thing, Um, This is not like a a Minnesota Vikings, I hope we win the Super Bowl someday and it's probably not going to happen. This is a confident hope in what will come to pass, right? This is a confident hope that we can bank on. This is the hope that we have that it is someday going to warm up in Minnesota and we know it's going to happen just by the way the planets are. We know with full faith it will warm up. But we have that hope. It's a confident hope that we have in our God that he has our good in mind because we are loved children of God. The second thing I want to look at in the next, is the next verse. Verse 19 says this. I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. God's power was on display Easter Sunday morning. God's victory and power was on display that day when those angels appeared to those ladies said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is risen. That is God's power at work. And it is so important for us to recognize that our God is the God of omnipotence. That's a, that's a Bible Sunday school word meaning all power. Our God is the God who is powerful. And that same power is available in us. That's what the scripture says. That's what the promise is. And note the Apostle Paul is not praying and asking God and saying, God, would you please give some of your power to your people? God, would you please show up every once in a while and maybe give a little bit of power and show a little bit of power to your people? What the Apostle Paul is saying, help us, the church, so that's us today, help us understand that God's power, that same power that raised Christ from the dead, is in us. Us. When you are in Christ, you have that power in you. It's already available. And maybe you are here and that idea of living in power is so foreign because you feel that life is just beating you up. Have you ever felt powerless? right? Have you ever felt powerless? Like you're in a situation and you can't do anything about it. Those are hopeless and powerless feelings. But God's power is available to you. It is available to you when you are in Christ, when you feel defeated and weary, when you feel like life is just beating you up, when you feel uncertain about your future. Maybe you're feeling uncertain about eternity, and you feel at the mercy of all these circumstances and things that are just happening. You feel like life is just happening to you. Well, I'm here to encourage you with the word of God today that that power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. It is available to you. When you are in Christ, his power dwells in you. Power to get up. Power to move forward. Amen? Power to forgive when someone has hurt you. Power to heal a hurt of something that's happened to you. Power To redeem a past, maybe you say, I've got so many things in my past, so much hurt, there's no way God is ever going to use that and turn that around. This is the power of God, to redeem a past. We have people in our church, some of you are in the room today, of amazing stories of God redeeming a past that everyone would have looked at and said, that person is a lost cause, but the power and the mercy and the love of God stepped in and changed a life changed a story, redeemed a past. So this power is available to you. There is confident hope, and there is the power of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead in us. And the third thing I want to look at, and this is the final thing today, verse 21 and 22, this is my favorite part. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made them head over all things for the benefit of the church. And maybe you're in like language safe mode and you're only pulling out certain words out of what I just read, but the one that jumps out to me is all things under the authority of Christ. God has put all All things under the authority of Christ. When Christ died, he paid for our sins. And when he rose, he was exalted and God put him over everything. God put everything under his authority. So what that means is not only are you loved children of God, part of a future inheritance, but that God has put Jesus over everything. There's nothing that you will face in your life that is not under the authority of Christ. Right? There's nothing you're facing right now that isn't under the authority of Jesus Christ. Both in this world and the world to come, there's nothing that you're going to face in the future. There's nothing that you're going to face in eternity. Death, the afterlife, eternity, heaven, hell, all these things, they are under the authority of Christ because this is what God did when he raised Christ from the dead. So your life is under the authority of Christ. There's nothing you're going to face that isn't under his rule and authority your kids, your family, your marriage, under the authority of Christ. Any battle you're going to face, we believe that there is spiritual warfare and spiritual opposition, that there is an enemy of our souls that is trying to keep you away from God. Well, there's no battle that you're going to face that isn't under the authority of Jesus Christ. This is what was accomplished when Jesus rose from the grave. Amen? It is under his authority. So right now, if you've been paying attention, maybe you have some questions. And a question that's going to pop up is going to be, well, if it's under his authority, why is it such a struggle? If it's under his authority, why are my kids, if my kids are under his authority, why are they struggling? If my marriage is under his authority, why is it falling apart? Why am I facing this health problem? If sickness is under the authority of Christ, why am I facing these problems? And those are Valid questions, and we all have questions like that. Maybe you would just say, you don't have to raise a hand, but you're thinking, yeah, I have questions like that. If it's under his authority, why are all these things happening? Well, we still live in a world where there is sin and hurt, where there is an enemy of our soul, as I mentioned. And I like to think of it as this way. When Jesus rose from the grave, that was like, that was like the, the first installment on the promise of what is to come. Maybe you've had a, have something you're paying off and you had to make the down payment and you know the rest is going to come later. Well, we're kind of in that middle ground now, but that first installment, that down payment that secured it was when Jesus rose from the dead. And we're still going to walk through some things that are difficult, but we have confident hope and we have power to get through it. And we know that our future is secure in Christ because one day, as he did when he rose Jesus from the grave, he's going to make all things new. He's going to make all things new, right? That's our confident hope. This is what resurrection means for us. This is, why, this is why I encourage us to read Scripture. This is the Scripture memory card that maybe some of you have seen, right? This is why I want us to have Scripture memorized. I don't want the words in this Word of God to just be something that we recite once in a while at church, This is what I want to have us in our hearts. The word would be dwelling in us. Do you think there could be some benefit to walking through life, to go through what you're going through, the battles that you're fighting, the things that we will face? Do you think there's some benefit to having the words of God in our heart and in our mind so that we can recall them and recite them? I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can know the confident hope he has given to those he called. I pray that you would understand the power that God used when he raised Christ from the dead and that he seated him above all things, do you think there would be some benefit to having those words alive in us? This is why I want us to memorize Scripture. This is why I want all of us to know the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. The fullness of life in a resurrected Jesus Christ. So that when we are fearful, when we are feeling defeated, when we are feeling lost, when we feel the weight of sin in our life, or discouragement, or any other battle we are going to face... We can confidently go to the word of God and say there is confident hope, there is power available, and everything is under the authority of my loving Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not an angry God who must be appeased. This is not an angry God that you have to go through and clean yourself up for him to pay attention, right? This is not an angry God who is waiting for you to stumble so he can point a finger at you and say, Aha, I knew it. I knew you were a failure. This is a loving God who views us as his beloved children, who he wants to work in. He wants to give his hope and his power and his life to. Who wants to raise up your faith so that you can walk in victory and strength and purpose and wholeness. So, I want to encourage you. If you are still doing the ritual religion, if you're here out of some Christian guilt or some guilt that your parents instilled in you as a young child or whatever other reason you are here, this is not about trying to impress God or to clean yourself up. It's not ritual and ceremony, it's not rules and good behavior, and it's not trying to make up for past mistakes. And some of you are seeing Christianity this way. And I'm telling you today, those are empty. Those are empty. Those are dead. And like those angels at the tomb that morning, why are you looking for the living among the dead? What we have in the word of God, what we have with a Savior who died for you and rose again victorious is fullness of life. A loving God who gives hope and power and a future. Our Savior is alive And he is the giver of life. So what I'm asking you today is this. We're celebrating a resurrected Lord. We're celebrating the sacrifice that Jesus made when he gave his life for you. His blood was shed for you so that your forgiveness is there. We're celebrating a Savior who rose from the dead to give us victory, hope, and power in life, fullness of life. So will you open yourself up to this faith? Will you allow your heart to be flooded with the light of Jesus Christ today? Will you open yourself up to this God who sees you as an heir, as future inheritance, as his rich and holy and glorious people? Will you open yourself up to this God? Will you open yourself up to this Lord over your life and allow him to come in and take away your past, to heal your hurt, to forgive your sin, to remove all the things that you've done before and to give you new life in Jesus Christ? Like the Apostle Paul who wrote those words in Ephesians. I want each of us to get a greater glimpse of what life in Christ truly is. And I don't want anyone to settle and to miss out.